Welcome back to the Evangelion podcast, where we dive deep into the logistics, methods, hardships, but even more so, the good, beautiful, and powerful side of evangelism here in America and around the world. Welcome back to the Evangelion podcast. I'm sitting here on the phone with Greg Strange. Greg, I met you about seven minutes ago. Um, so why don't you in- introduce yourself to the podcast and our listeners? And so that way they know a little bit about you and maybe a little bit about what you do. Awesome. Well, thank you, Josh. Uh, yeah, my name is Greg Strange. I serve with a ministry called European Initiative. Our vision is to mobilize Christians to ignite a spiritual awakening throughout all of Europe. And yeah, I'm a beloved son of God. I'm a, a husband to a wife for 19 years and I have three amazing kids. And I've had the privilege of being in the mission field over in Berlin, Germany for five years, currently living stateside. And so I love evangelism. I love reaching the lost. Wow. That is so cool. So Greg, what kind of gets you out of bed in the morning? What, what does early morning Greg get out of bed and say, I am ready to take on the day for Mm -hmm. That's a really great question. I think the main reason is just really calling. It's really just the love of Christ. You know, uh, the Bible tells us that we love because he first loved us. And when we experience this amazing love, which never fails, it compels us, as Paul says, it drives us. And so I really, just as most believers, we have a desire really to be obedient to Christ. We have a desire to become like Christ. And and this desire, I really believe, leads us to a love for those that are broken, that are lost, that are lonely, that are despondent and living in a place of rebellion to the Lord. And so, you know, it, it grieves me uh, to know that you know, there's millions upon millions of people dying every single day, and it's either heaven or hell. And I'm really am convinced in my spirit that a majority of them are heading to hell. And so mm-hmm. that's what drives, you know, me and in, in the calling of God is placed upon to really get up and say, okay, God, let's let's go do this today. Let's share the gospel. Let's sow seeds into the hearts and the fields of people's lives, and hopefully they can come to an understanding of your grace and your mercy and enter into an eternal relationship with you. Mm. Wow, Greg, that that is really, really good. I love how you articulated that. And I, yeah, I just love your answer overall. That is so, so awesome. So Greg, how did you end up becoming a Christian? Well, that's a really good question, Josh. I am a late bloomer. I grew up in a Catholic household, was actually an altar boy, went through confirmation, but just never heard the gospel, never really understood that I could actually walk with a father who loved me. And so I rebelled and turned my back against God at really the, about the age of 13. Maybe I shouldn't say rebelled. I was just indifferent, you know, mm. like a lot of different They just don't know. And so I kind of got caught up into drugs and alcohol for about 10 years, but I had a supernatural uh, deliverance. And, you know, that spun into an addiction with um, gambling a few years later, supernatural deliverance from there, then to pornography. And all throughout that time, that spirit of addiction just kept haunting me because Mm. I'd never fully given my my life to the Lord because nobody had ever really shared the true gospel with me. And I think that's Mm. one of the the facts 
hardships of today that we deal with is that we share an incomplete gospel. And that's, that was my life for so many years. But at the age of 37, Josh, mm. I literally came to the Lord through going into a church uh, and the Holy Spirit was so strong that I just wept and I cried in God's presence. I'd never experienced the presence of God before. And for the first year I went to this church, I just cried and worship every single week. And sometime throughout that, I think I went to the, to the front, maybe like three or four or five times and just said, I want Jesus to be Lord. I didn't know that you only had to declare it with your mouth one time. <laughs> So at the age of 37, I finally became born again, and that is where my spiritual journey started. I'm 50 years old now, and just from that point on, just decided I was so in love with Jesus, I just wanted to be a yes man for the Lord. So I just decided I'm just going to say yes to whatever God asks me to do. Wow, that is so cool. I love that story so, so much. Wow. So how did you get into evangelism specifically? Was it like something like, you know, a mentor or a close friend said, hey, you should just do this? Was it like a revelation just from reading the Bible? What? Tell me what that kind of story was like. Sure. Well, I believe that identity always precedes behavior, and whatever we believe about ourselves actually comes out in our lives. And so, you know, as I started taking next steps with, um, with Jesus— I started going to a men's group and eventually got placed into the hands of one of the elders of the church, and he started discipling me. But really, about two years into my journey, I had and and, and my my original mentor absolutely loved missions. Uh, he was mm. always on mission, and so. I believe that a lot of the giftings, the talents, as Paul would say when he laid hands on Timothy and fanned those things into flame, our mentors do that because we're hanging out with people and their influence, their identity actually rubs off onto us. And so his love for missions kind of just stirred something inside of me. And I just uh, after two years of, you know, finally walking with the Lord, I said, I felt like the Lord was saying, go to Germany, go to Germany. And so I did that. And to be honest with you, I was just kind of thrusted into it. At this point, I don't even know I knew what the gospel was. I've never even shared the gospel. Uh, I was so rough around the edges, but I just wanted to do what God was asking me to do. And I really sensed in my spirit that he was telling me to go to Germany. And so I ended up going with the European Initiative back in 2010. It was my very, very first mission trip. And I just remember having so many incredible supernatural experiences with God. Mm. And seeing people healed and not even knowing what I'm supposed to do. But, you know, in Acts 1-8, it says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. And I didn't even mm. realize that scripture that was there just being obedient. The Spirit's power was being poured out upon me and I was being a witness. And I'm sure I made a lot of mistakes in those early stages and I was learning how to articulate the gospel. But God was just growing me and stretching me. And that's kind of got thrown into the deep end. And <laughs> that's where it initiated and started happening. It wasn't easy. I didn't like doing it. And I kicked and screamed and dragged my heels as much as I could. But I knew that, that God had sent me there for a reason. And so, you know, it's just taking that, that next step on your journey with Jesus as he just continues to blow our minds and allow our spirits to thrive in ways that we could never imagine. Mm. Wow. That is so cool. I love, I, man, everything you're saying is just like, my, I just have a huge smile on my face while you're saying it. <laughs> so, Greg, tell me a little bit about European Initiative and what you do specifically, maybe on like a day-to-day -day basis or what you hope to do with the European Initiative. Yeah. 
Well, as I was saying earlier, our goal is to really mobilize Christians. And so on two fronts, obviously, Jesus has told us to go and make disciples. And so we we want to be obedient to that in two ways. We want to share the gospel wherever we go. And I just call it the three A's of evangelism, anywhere, anytime with anyone, right? Mm. doesn't matter whether grocery store, at a bus stop or whatever. So we want to help people, equip them to live a lifestyle of evangelism, of sharing their heart with the lost and the broken. So that's one aspect of it. The other one is really on the equipping side. So we want to equip the saints. We want to equip the church. We want to equip people who have a love for Jesus to grow in in this gift of evangelism. And so we go into churches. We do it with teams that come in. Um, because a lot of uh, students and older people that are seasoned in life uh, have never really shared their their faith with someone. They've done a lot of other things in ministry, but they've never gone up to a random stranger or stood on a microphone in a public square with hundreds of people around and proclaimed the gospel. And so we want to equip them. We want to give them the tools to help them understand that they can do this, that it's a simple Mm -hmm. task. It's not daunting as they may think it is, and that God has empowered them through the ministry of reconciliation to mm. to be ambassador, as it talks about in 2 Corinthians 5. And, and so there's lots of different things. So those are a couple of aspects of it. But we really want to ra- raise up disciples, and that's really what we're doing right now, is we want to equip not only Americans to come back and do this in America after they've been on a short-term mission trip with us, but we really want to raise up the next generation of Europeans to say, hey, this is my land. This is my people. I'm fed up with the devil. I'm fed up with people not understanding the truth of what it looks like to have a relationship with God and empowering them with the spiritual tools and mental uh, truths that they need to have through the word of God. And hopefully they'll go out and do the same thing and they'll reproduce other leaders. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> but anyways, that that was it. That was what I was going to tell you. Wow, that is so awesome. Like, yeah, again, just like this massive grin on my face just as you're talking. So if I'm a new student looking to go on a short-term missions trip to Europe, uh, what should I be keeping in mind? Like, what should I be ready for when I get, you know, either boarding the plane or, you know, getting off the plane in Europe? Like, what should I, what should I expect my experience to be? Well, I think it's twofold. One, there is a healthy expectation to really have a, a higher view of, of God's truth. You know, I think so many times um, we limit our experiences with God because we live off of our experiences instead of experiences up to the truth of God. And the distance between our experiences and the truth sometimes just leads to disappointment, right? It's kind of mm-hmm. that gap in between. And I would say, most importantly, just be yourself. Be who God has created you to be because it's so easy to look at a Daniel Kalinda, a Todd White, mm. an Andrew Wack, all these great spiritual leaders and people that we admire because of how God has used them. And we sometimes un- put an unhealthy um, expectation or perspective that we need to live up to this person's, you know, gifting or calling. And God is, has placed specific gifts and callings in our own lives. And I just try to tell people to give them freedom to not put any pressure upon themselves, you know, because that just creates fear and discouragement and anxiety and stress and all those other things. So I try to just tell them, man, be at peace, 
be flexible, be yourself, be active, be honest. You know, I think just be vulnerable, you know, know, know your testimony, right? Know who you were before Christ. Know what happened to you at the point of when you made a decision to say, I'm all in with Jesus. Now I'm going to follow him and who you are now, because there's so much power in their testimony. And if they've never been on a trip before, obviously that's one of the first things that you do when you come on a mission trip is you learn how to share your testimony and how you weave that into a spiritual conversation mm. to where you have the God's given you to actually share the gospel. Because the truth is the gospel is offensive. And one of the fruits of sharing your gospel is that people will get offended, not at us, but at, but at the, the message itself. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, really just trying to help people just be at peace uh, when, when they come on a trip and just be open to whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do because he wants to awaken them in a way that they never have before. He wants to put a fire within inside of their heart that they've never experienced before and to really just lean in and really learn how to hear the voice of God more clearly than they ever have before in their entire life because when God speaks a word, it always comes to pass. Mm. Wow, that is so good, so good. So, Greg, what would you say the current state of evangelism today in America, but maybe, you know, even more so in Europe is uh, or just in around the world? If you were to give like a almost like a state of the union, uh, what would be your state of evangelism address? Oh, man, that's a tough question. (laughs) (laughs) I would say uh, state of evangelism Man, be bold and share the truth, mm. really, honestly, because I think we we try to tiptoe around the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and say that, oh, God is love, which is true. He can heal you, which is true. But a lot of times we don't want to take the extra step and really help them identify the sin in their life. But a lot of times, especially in Europe, people— Globally, they just think they're good people, you know, Mm. sometimes you have to identify and help them understand the brokenness and the sin that's in their lives that separates them from a holy God. And I would just say we have to read persistent. It's not condemnation. It's not shame. It's not guilt. It's just truth, you know, and, um, you know, there would a good doctor would never hold the truth from his patient if they were dying. And we can't do that either. We have to go forth in the power of the Holy spirit and just be honest with people and tell them the truth of what the gospel is, because a lot of people don't want to, they have their own perception of what hell is mm-hmm. or what they have their own of what the afterlife represents. And there's so many different religions out there, but we have to really stand firm to the word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. So when we're be obedient to really live out Romans 1.16, which says that we're not going to be ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to bring salvation unto anyone who believes, that we really have to walk in a boldness and a courage that God has placed inside of us to not leave a spiritual conversation empty-handed, you know, and not really talk to them and, and explain to them that the wages of sin is death, right? Mm, yeah. But the God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so many times we, I think we fall short in our uh, address to the people and they don't really get a clear understanding of who Jesus is and why he died and what our purpose is in life. Mm. Wow. That is so, so good. Some awesome insight as well. 
Uh, with the European initiative, would you say that you guys are struggling to get participants at all? Or is it like, man, we're having to turn people away on trips because there's so many people signing up? Well, Josh, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I think that pretty much says the same, and, and uh, we have times where we have people coming over, but there's never enough. You know, uh, there's so much more on our calendars. I'm sure you've heard the 90-10 principle within the Christian, you know, flow of things before, where 10% of the congregation do 90% of the work, mm. and really believe that God is really calling all of his sons and daughters to take their place in the kingdom and um, to really understand their identity so that they can live out this purpose. I would say, no, we don't have an abundance. I said, there's so many harvest fields, there's so many unreached people groups, there's so many neighborhoods, so many schools, so many workplaces where Christ is not being exemplified. He's not being glorified. His name is not even being spoken. And so, you know, I'm not saying they have to go into the mission fields of Europe or somewhere overseas, but we need to be a messenger. Mm. And and that's the hard part. So I would say we are in desperate need of people really walking into the fullness of their identity to to, to be that effective witness mm. day in and day, no matter where you are. Wow, that is so good. Some um, Again, that's just amazing insight. So, Greg, what have been some of the hardest moments that you've encountered, not necessarily like persecution or uh, being turned away, but like just some of the hardest moments that you've had while evangelizing either here in America or in Europe? Mm. Well, there's several things. I think one that, that uh, really breaks my heart is you can spend 45 minutes with a person. You can spend two hours on the streets talking to them in a home or wherever. And you can just see the presence of God moving upon these people's lives. You can feel him for yourself and they're getting a revelation of God's love and they can just not, they just can't overstep that hurdle, right? To just receive the free gift of God's grace, you know, mm. because there's such a pain upon the world with religion. And so many people have been wounded by the church that even when they hear the truth, you know, it's like the parable of the four souls, you, so, four soils. You don't ever know when you speak the word which soil it's going to go on to. But the good news is, is that every time we share the word and it never returns void, we have a 25% chance that it's going to fall on good soil. And it just grieves me. When you see someone get a revelation of God's love, they understand their need for a savior and they're ready to repent and they just don't do it. For me, that's one of the hardest things that, you know, I experienced because for some reason, um, you know, the Bible says that if we live in a place of sin, God gives it over to a depraved mind. You can just see how people are living in a place bondage and strongholds in this mind because whatever we believe we become like whatever our strongest thought is is the direction of, the, of our of the way that our life goes and you can just see it in these people and they're like well i just need more you know but they're experiencing god they're feeling him and that just really really grieves me that would be one example another example would be um seeing people that have really been wounded or hurt by the church in the past mm. you know through religion that really really grieves me because for them it's it's harder to put their faith in in god but you know 
the truth is, is there's healthy churches and there's unhealthy churches. There's true doctrine and there's false doctrine off the, out, out there. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people that have been hurt by church. And so sometimes that just really hurts my heart. And you do the best that you can to apologize on behalf of the Church of Jesus Christ to get them to a place to where they can receive God's forgiveness and then forgive those that have actually wounded them. But, you know, we plant and we water and it's the God that gives the increase, right? Yeah. Wow. So how would you respond to someone who, when you're evangelizing to them, they say, yeah, I've really been hurt by the church in such such and such a way. How do you respond to that? How do you react to that? Well, I try to use uh, good, good, clear examples. I think one is to tell them that, you know, healthy people heal people and hurting people hurt others. Mm. And the truth is that within the church, we have both. We have hurting people and we have uh, healthy people. That's what makes up the body of Christ. And I try to help them understand that every single one of us, of, of us have fallen short of the glory of God, that we all make mistakes, and that sometimes even as church leaders we do things, we fall short of the glory of God as well. And But we can't hold um, unforgiveness in our heart due to man because that's not really God's heart. And then just really have to share within the truth about God's love, uh, the grace, you know, that God remembers as far as the East is from the rest. He remembers our sins no more. And this is what he's calling us into. He's calling us into this lifestyle. And to really just try to help them get a revelation of, of God's love and his grace, his undeserved favor in their life. Mm. That they can, their heart posture can get to a place to just release some of the offenses that they've picked up, you know, and the trauma or the pain that they've picked up uh, over the years of being in church. Because, yeah, it, it's tough, dude. It's a tough conversation. And I mm-hmm. think the, the, the key thing is that I, I really try to help when I equip people is I, I tell them three things I do. You ask questions, you listen, and then respond. Because when we ask them questions about their hurts, about their fears, about their pains, um, you really get to the root of what is going on inside of them. So if you can trigger what the root of their pain is, what was the offense and ask them directly if they're willing to share, a lot of times the Holy Spirit provides us the key through Jesus Christ to unlock that area of their heart. And then you can really speak truth into it. And so Mm. that's just one of the, one of the best ways to do it is just to ask questions, to really be, be silent and live out what James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Mm. So many times, as evangelists and pastors, we have the answer. We know the, the answer is the truth of God. We know it's Jesus, and we machine gun them with a bunch of stuff. <laughs> but we have to get down to their level. We have to sympathize with them with where they are and really hear where they're at, fully let them speak. And when they have completely spoken, then we have really earned the authority to, to respond in a way that's loving, that's truthful, and get to that core place in their heart where the Holy Spirit can dig up that unhealthy root and allow them to experience them in a fresh new way. Mm. Wow, that is so, so good. So kind of on the flip side of the, the negative side of evangelism, what have been some of your highlights or high moments while evangelizing? Well, I think obviously the highlights are, um, you know, in Matthew 10, where he talks about how he's all authority in heaven and earth has been given to us, right? And he mm-hmm. says, okay, go 
preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosies, and, and cast out demons in my name. And of course, you know, signs and wonders are a byproduct. You know, even in Mark 16, he said, you know, go and preach the gospel to all creation, and, and these mm-hmm. signs will follow. So we know we love to see, you know, healings supernaturally happen, blind ears, deaf ears, the dead race. These are things that I've got to be able to see and witness and experience firsthand. And these are incredible manifestations of God's authority, power, and love. But to be honest with you, I think one of the greatest, um, to me, the greatest thing is really the gift of salvation because nothing happens apart from it really is I don't know there's just something so powerful about sharing the love and the word of God with someone and seeing the Holy Spirit take that and just change a person literally from the inside out and seeing their spirit finally become one with the Holy Spirit and you just see this you know butterfly effect right well they they have this in, in, in deep spiritual encounter with God so for me seeing someone give their life to the Lord never gets old it's one of the greatest things mm-hmm. uh, I think that it is the greatest gift that God has given us it's what Jesus died for right because he wants to give us the gift of salvation so that we can live on for him forever but all of all of those things are great does that make sense yeah absolutely. It, you love to see the manifestations of God's love and, and, and display, but uh, you know He He tells us in, in Luke 11 that we should be not rejoicing and that we casted out demons, but we should rejoicing that our names are written in the book of life. And I think it's just a good reminder for believers in Jesus when we go out on mission that God wants to do the extraordinary. He wants to put the super on top of the natural. But let's really keep our eyes focused that um, you know Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but He came to save the world through Himself. Wow. Yeah. So, so good. I love like priorities, you know, just remember that we are to do nothing more. All of our works are like filthy rags to the Mm. amazing glory that God is. So, wow, that is so, so good. Um, Are you familiar with the uh, Barna reports? You know, I've heard of them in the past, uh, but I, something I follow. Okay. Yeah. So I just was reading the other day, uh, they released, it's kind of like a magazine with, uh, evangelism stats. They called it, uh, reviving evangelism. They stated one of their biggest stats that they found was that some non-Christians say that they might be more interested in Christianity if they had more evidence for it. That was about, uh, 440 people out of the thousand people that they surveyed. And that, and the second part to this is kind of crazy that the faith had a better reputation. I was wondering what your thoughts were on those two things specifically. Like number one, uh, when you're evangelizing, do you present like physical proof almost like or a scientific evidence? And then number two, do you, you know, if people hear about Christianity and they say, hey, you know, Christians are just hypocritical. What is your response for that? Yeah, on the second point, I'll I'll answer that one really fast. Is the truth is is um, <laughs> we are hypocrites at time, right? Mm. And and it does give uh, the Lord a, a bad taste. But I think you know as we grow in our maturity with the Lord, um, there's evidence of us being His disciples by our love, right? There's evidence of us being disciples by the fruit of what God is doing in our lives and us sharing that fruit through our through our brokenness. Because most of the fruit that happens in our life comes through times of trial, through hardships, through brokenness. And um, we have a story to tell about how we can give people hope to keep persevering and how Jesus actually helped us uh, become an overcomer and now start to live a victorious life in him through those brokenness. Mm. And so 
But on the fl- on the front side of that question, um, yeah, I mean, we, we I do talk about you know evidence. I mean, you know, you talk about creationism. You can talk about uh, the, the DNA. You talk about how every fingerprint is completely different. You talk about how every eyeball and everybody's eye color is unique. How no one has the same hairs on their head. I mean, these are all the things that just prove to the existence that there is a creator. And so I do mention those things. Um, and they do uh, uh, bear witness, and mm. I think they can bring some symbolism to help people kind of understand something else that I, I use. Our- said, you know, you may not be able to see God right now. I said, but, you know, how do you know the wind is real? You can't see it. Mm. And they go, well, actually, I I can. I can see it blowing the wind, the, the 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 leaves on a tree. You know, I can see it move. You know, this person's hair or a flag. And I was like, exactly. You're you're right. I said that's how it is. You know, with a relationship with God, when you fully submit your life and you repent and you confess and you say, "Oh Lord, I want to follow you with all my heart." Now you can start to experience in a God in the way that you. Um, you never have before. You can feel him. You can see him now in, in his creation, and he speaks to us through his creation. And and so I will use, you know, small things like that to help people understand that, okay, God is, God is real, he's alive, and then, you know, use things like the concept of faith, right? Yeah. You know, for an atheist, they us that they don't really believe in anything, but it takes faith just even not to believe in anything, right? Mm. That makes no sense. And then you tell them like, okay, well, when you go to a doctor, it may not be a spiritual faith per se, but you're putting faith in the doctor that he's going to give you the right prescription, that he's going to diagnose you with the correct ailment or treatment that's needed. You know, you put faith in a pilot that he's going to get you halfway across the world in a flight. And so, you know, I talk about just normal everyday, you know, things that they can potentially understand to help tie in the concepts of what it looks like to put our faith in Jesus Christ and what faith represents. Mm. Wow, that is so, so good. I, that is so, so good. So in that same report, uh, one of their, another honestly shocking key findings was that when they surveyed that the thousand people, uh, specifically millennials, nearly half of the millennials practicing uh, Christianity said, hey, it's, I think it's wrong to evangelize. And the way that they phrased it was, I, I think it's wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hope that they will one day share the same faith. What are your thoughts on, is it, I mean, we, we both know where you're at, but what would you say to someone that says, Hey, you know, Greg, uh, you know, what you're doing is it's not right. You know, pushing your faith onto someone. Yeah. Well, I would say I definitely don't agree with that, (laughs) (laughs) but the cool thing about evangelism is sometimes we can be, um, single-minded in what evangelism actually looks like or what you know we have to ask the people that are, that are opposed to this well what is evangelism to you because there could be a thousand and one different definitions of what evangelism actually means to the person that is offended or who doesn't agree with it and the beautiful thing about about sharing our faith is there are so many different ways to share our faith, right? You can do, you can have, you know, supernatural evangelism where someone just gets instantaneously healed. You can have presence evangelism. You can have friendship evangelism. You can have relational evangelism. You can have, you know, box evangelism. There's all these different types of way, ways that you can evangelize, right? That fit your unique personality and your calling. And so 
I think there's always a way to present the gospel in a way that's not threatening, that's life-giving, spirit-filled, and Jesus-focused in every environment. So hmm. for me, that that really doesn't carry any weight with me because God and the Holy Spirit is so amazing, and God loves to do things. And I think if we will just be faithful to open up our mouths and talk about who he is and share about what he's done in our life, uh, we can do that in a way that's not threatening even even someone who thinks evangelism is oppressive. Mm. Wow, that, that's super good. That's a super awesome response. So if I'm a new student that's about to go abroad to Europe uh, on a first missions trip, basically abroad, uh, I've done evangelism here in the States, maybe around Colorado, um, where I'm at currently. What are some of the cultural differences that I should be aware of and knowledgeable about so that way I could still be effective in Europe? Sure. I think number one, um, learning the hearing, learning a little bit about the culture that you're actually going into. You know, so mm. obviously, if you're all Muslim nation, you're going to need to learn about the five pillars of Islam. You're going to have to learn the differences between what their concept of God is and what they believe and what you believe. Because ultimately, when it comes down to it, one of the things that I always do and I would tell them is through asking questions, what we want to do is we want to challenge people that we're talking with on why they believe what they believe. Mm. And I that with very sincerely because most of the time when you talk to people, they truly honestly don't even know why they believe what they believe. Mm. I mean – I'm just being honest with you because I talk to people that come from Orthodox backgrounds in Eastern Europe. Well, I'm a Christian because I was baptized, you know, as a, as a baby. So now I'm a Christian. Well, really? Okay. <laughs> well, you know, I'm a Christian because I, I, I went to a church, you know, for Christmas and Easter three years ago, mm. you know, so you did the most random questions, but so you really have to start asking them the questions behind the question. Well, tell me why you believe that. Why do you believe that? And most of the time when you do that, they have no foundation for what they believe. And when they start to waver and they can't explain to you why they believe what you believe, and we know what we believe because we're we're being God's messengers, it really carries a lot of authority and a lot of impact. You can really make a lot of headway and, and really throw some good seeds on the soil of their heart and see the Holy Spirit do something really spectacular. So... Uh, I'm not sure if I address the question fully, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Wow, that is so, so cool. Do you have any like awesome stories just from uh, missions trips on the European initiative, uh, like good ones, bad ones, you know, lessons that we can learn uh, just from your experience with the European initiative? Yeah, well, I've got lots of really good ones and lots of really bad ones. <laughs> You know, um, some of the bad ones are, when I look back at it, you know, you're trying to do the best that you can, you know, and um, you just, you mishear God. You Mm -hmm. know, for me, I think that really grieves me. I was in a, I was in a home one time and there was a man there and uh, we kind of had a team and everybody was kind of, you know, throwing darts at this man out of love, obviously, right, to try and encourage him. And and I just closed my eyes and I just said, okay, God, what are you speaking right now? And 
the Lord gave me an image of an ear. And I didn't continue to listen to what God wanted me to to do. You know, so now I've learned in my relationship with God, I'm like, okay, God, if he gives me an impression or a vision, because that's how he speaks to me, but he speaks to everybody differently. But that's his main way that he speaks to me. And 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 I, I just kind of ran with it and I just saw the ear and I just said, Oh, he needs he needs his ears need to be healed. And so here I, I make a fool of myself and I kind of jump in in front of everybody and I'm like, you know, I said, okay, hey, I just really sense that God says he wants to heal your ears. You know, obviously you, you, you have a hearing issue. And this guy's name is Peter. He's Romanian. And he goes, no, I don't have any trouble with my with my hearing at all. And I'm like, oh, I just felt so stupid. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, wow. but to be honest with you, what happened was it was an incredible learning lesson. And it was a humbling experience because I went back home that night and I was just down on my knees before the Lord. And I said, God, what happened? I said, I, did I not hear you correctly? And he said, you did, but you didn't finish listening to what I had without what I wanted to tell you. Mm. So what God was trying to show me with the, with the, the vision of the ear was, is that too many people we're talking to him at one time and all of our words were falling on deaf ears. That's ultimately what got into revealing to me. So he didn't have a hearing problem. He did have an issue with his ear, but it wasn't what I thought it was because I didn't stay long enough in the presence of God to keep asking God, Lord, are you finished speaking to me? Have you told me everything that you want to speak to me about this man so that we can, you know, hopefully bless him. Hmm. And so that would be one, you know, example of, of, a failure. And I've had lots of those, obviously when you you're doing full-time ministry, you make a lot of mistakes, yeah. <laughs> but, um, we learn from those. Right. But I would say, you know, one of the most powerful ones is, uh, we were in, in, in Berlin. That was a city that I lived in. And, um, we were doing an outreach and there was a guy, uh, that had come over and the, the music was loud and the Lord in just grew this man's leg out. His hips were, were out of alignment and maybe about an inch or two. And he's dancing up and gra- up and down saying, wow, wow, wow. I've never been able to do this. I've had surgery. And he's like, you know, I, I felt someone touch me on my shoulder and I turned around and there was nobody there. And so he had this supernatural experience with God and was healed. But then I turn around from him and I see this guy kind of uh, stop. And all of a sudden he kind of like puts his hand over his heart and he just literally falls back straight like a board on the ground. And I just get a sense that he's having a heart attack. So I run straight over to him and I lay my hand on his heart and I'm just praying in the spirit and I'm saying, God, in Jesus name, Lord, bring this man's heart back to life. And at this point, other people had come around. There's probably like eight or 10 of us and we're all on the ground and we have our hands laid on this, on this man. And he's, he's on the ground and a couple of minutes go by. Next thing you know, he's, he's blue, right? Hmm. Like he's not, he's not breathing. And we're just praying and, and everyone's prophesying and speaking in tongues and just declaring, you know, the devil's work be demolished in Jesus name. And it, it, all of a sudden I, I check his pulse and his, there's no heartbeat. So mm. more, more time goes by the guy's like gray. He's, he's dead. He's there. He, there's no life left in him. And at this point it's been probably like five minutes if I had to guess. So two policemen, had walked up and they see all of us there and they probably think we're just absolutely crazy, Josh, because we're, (laughs) we're, we're going full blown for this man, right? That's dead on, on the, on the ground. And uh, they're watching us. And I just remember 
at some point I was just like, Lord, you breathed everything back into existence and, and, mm. and everybody's faith was just so ignited. And I just remember, Lord, breathe life back this man's heart right now in the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden breath just entered back into this man's life and he literally erected back up. And then five policemen come around and surround him and the ambulance is pulling up at the same time. And it was one of the most amazing miracles of God's glory on display. I got to see this man die and be brought back to life. It was truly remarkable. And it's just one of those things where you just go back home and you're like, scratch your head. And you're like, <laughs> okay, God, I, I didn't get a chance to ask the guy his name. Didn't get a chance to see whether he experienced God. He didn't even get to hear the gospel, but God's grace, his love, it was so abounding. He cared for him so much. He heard the cry of his children that were praying for him, you know, around him that he, he wanted to bring this man back to life. Hmm. And so, you know, God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are greater than our thoughts. And man, I'm just so honored to be a part of, some of the kingdom work that uh, has happened all throughout the, throughout the world. And man, Josh, I, I want to walk in, in more of that fire and more of that love. Mm. And that's my heart for every person who, who loves Jesus is to just live out the full authority that he died for, that he has given to us and walk in that authority and power with humility, with the grace of God yeah. so that we can just see live the kingdom advance and lives transform in the name of Jesus. Wow, that is such a powerful story. Oh my goodness. And, and that was in Berlin, right? That was in Berlin, yes, sir. Wow, that is so awesome. Well, Greg, I know that you have uh, so, such amazing experience and um, just a lot of practical experience getting a group of people together, such as Christians from varying backgrounds together to go on one mission throughout you know, Europe, through different cities and whatnot. So what is it like getting a bunch of Christians with different backgrounds united for one purpose to evangelize? Is that difficult? Can it be hard? What are some of the lessons that you've learned from getting Christians with different backgrounds to unite? Yeah. Well, obviously, unity is the heart of the Father. It's displayed in the Trinity, right? Um, and it can be challenging, but most of the time it's not too hard. You know, mm. every goes on a mission trip is looking to experience God. They're looking to grow in their relationship. Um, there have been many times where someone has, you know, a struggle because one thing that we've noticed is that when you go on, on mission with the Lord, especially with a bunch of other, other people is that your cracks actually become valleys, right? Because you have to be super flexible when you go on mission trips, because a lot of things generally don't go as planned. And it's kind of good because a man makes his plan, but the Lord determines the steps. So it's a lot more rewarding when we don't try to walk in our own plans, but we actually are submissive to where the Holy Spirit is leading us. But yeah, I would say, you know, for the most part, it's really a humbling experience to see a team come together. But I think through prayer, through incredible vision casting, through helping people understand the mission of what they're about to do, and through times of intimate worship together, and the laying up hands on and prophesying over one another and seeing these gifts. God just does something. There's, there's a unique uh, relationship that happens when you go into war with another brother and sister, right? Yeah. So I mean, when you're on the front lines 
of, of a war on the battlefield and you're having to rely on your friend to save your life or to pull you out of harm's way, there's a greater appreciation. There's a greater depth of respect and honor. There's It's like John 15, it says, there's no greater love than he who would lay down his life for another brother. And I think when you're in those experiences, you're seeing someone lay down your life for you, even if you're being a little bit rebellious, even if pride or lust or power pops up in your life, you're seeing this humility, this grace unfold in other people's lives, and it humbles us in that moment, and it draws our, the team so closely knitted together that we become single-minded, single-focused, one in the spirit in all that we do, and I believe there's exponential impact and explosive power happening when all of our um, arrows are in are in alignment and going in the same direction the minute that you have one person branch off and do their own thing is the minute that the devil tries to bring in division mm. and 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 all these things into the team but the good thing is is that great leaders will always pull that individual to the side and be humble and expose it and give them an opportunity to repent and generally when that happens and we follow matthew 18 the principle there you see things actually even grow even deeper you know what i mean because you talk about it and you move forward and you can really see god do some some amazing things Mm. wow there are crazy things that happen, and you know, uh, sometimes we do. Get, there, there is sin that abounds on on mission trips, but uh, God is greater, and he, he's he's really good at dealing with that stuff and, and bringing unity. Mm. Wow, that is so so good. Such amazing insight. So, Greg, are there any like assumptions or presuppositions that Americans have when they go over to Europe that can hold us back in being effective in evangelism? Josh, love that question. Um, Something that God has really awakened me to uh, over the years is that we think that it's our job to get people saved, and it's not. Only through the work of the Holy Spirit. But for some reason, when you go on a mission trip, you know, there's there's this pride, there's this um, unhealthy power that rises up in our spirits from time to time that we've, we've got to do things for the Lord. It's a privilege to do, to serve the Lord, but there's mm-hmm. nothing that we have to do, right? Yeah. And I think that you know, many times we go over and we think, well, if I can just get someone to pray a prayer of salvation, that person will be saved. And I just try to give people peace and be like, it's not about the prayer it's about the posture of someone's heart it's about them truly understanding who god is because even in my own life you know i remember when i first started you know evangelizing man i would do anything that i could to get someone to to take a next step and say i want jesus to be lord but the problem with that is that sometimes you pick an apple off the tree and the apple's not ripe Mm, you know there are our own cunning, manipulative uh, ways of expressing our our heart and our love for God, we can convince or persuade someone to do something when their heart is not truly rendered and ready for Jesus to be Lord of everything over all their life. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah. so then what we do is they actually end up becoming a stillborn baby, right? Mm. They now think 
because they prayed a prayer of salvation that they're a Christian when in essence they're not. And we're dealing with that over and over and over again in the mission field. When you talk to people and be like, well, I tried to follow Jesus at one time. I prayed a prayer of salvation or I did X, Y, and Z, or someone told me if I did this, that I would, that I'm now a Christian. And you're just, you're, you're trying to overcome really, really bad things that people have good intentions for, but we just don't recognize it. And so, man, I try to help young people who really don't have never shared the gospel that this is the biggest decision of their life. Mm. They really to understand the concept of God, sin, Jesus, and repentance. All four of those things are so important in laying out the true gospel message and sometimes we can become one-sided in our message i see americans come over and be like well if you just give your life to jesus and you love him he'll fix everything in your life Mm. necessarily true and that's not the gospel and so people are putting their hope and their faith in a false understanding of why jesus actually came to seek and save the lost Mm. and so I can give you lots of different examples or analogies of that, but that just grieves my heart. And I just, man, I just think we really need to be equipped properly of, of what the gospel is and really utilize the spirit of discernment um, of when a person is really ready for them to, to make a profession of faith because uh, it really can damn them and hurt them. You know? Mm-hmm. So that's one people actually have been there's so many hurts or they think they're a Christian and they're really not. And they don't even, they're walking in a place of religion versus a place of sonship and relationship. Mm, wow. That is so powerful and so awesome. Uh, well, I think I have one more question for you that'll pretty much bring us to the end. And this actually comes from one of my classmates, David Tennies, who went on the European initiative. Uh, I said, hey, hey, David, do you have any questions that maybe Greg should answer? And he goes, oh, I, I've got one question for him. And um, so this is his question. How do you how do you, Greg, believe that uh, missions in Europe can aid in the reaching of unreached people groups? So many countries in Europe have such great access to the gospel and the need is so great in other places. So all in all, how can missions in Europe assist reaching unreached people groups? Well, let's just think about Jesus, right? I think yeah. through through discipleship, right? Jesus Jesus had his three, and he had his twelve, and then he had his seventy. Mm. If we are faithful to really invest in the three, you know, who are those three people that we want? Jesus did that. He used twelve disciples to change the world. Mm. And God says that we can do greater things than our responsibility to live out the greatest commission to go and make disciples is true. So wherever we go, whether it's in an uncharted um, village or whether it's in a church, we have not only the calling and responsibility and the mandate, but if we can disciple them and bring them up in the instruction and fear of the Lord, they too can in turn and go out and do exactly what the disciples did in the book of Acts. And we can really see a revival happen from anywhere within the world, whether it's an unreached people group or, you know, wherever that stems from. And, um, it's a huge, uh, it's a huge responsibility, but I think, you know, uh, there's nothing that we have to recreate a model. Jesus has given us the model and it's to, to love those that are around us and to bring them up in the instruction and to teach them his ways, you know? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I know that there are a ton of unreached people groups within Europe itself, too. So you could directly impact unreached people groups just going to France even. So I know that there's, there's plenty of unreached people groups there, but even more so, just like you were saying, if you reach people in Europe, the Europe people will reach other people that are closer to them and they have a greater access to the need. That's right. That's right. You know, there's a crazy statistic uh, that 80% of all French French people have never um, held or read a Bible in their hands. Really? Yeah. Wow, that is surprisingly high. I did not know that. Yeah. Now, I can't back that up from a Barner report or anything like that, but I have <laughs> yeah. I heard that statistic and that, that be said before. So, but, um, you know, we believe that uh, Europe is one of the top least evangelized continents in all the world right now. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That is, that's kind of, that's kind of hard to believe, to be honest with you. Just uh, from, from my perspective, it seems like Europe, you know, everyone's always going to Europe. Uh, That's one of their first abroad missions trips almost. So, but I think you do have a great point there. I didn't know that 80% of people in, you know, France, that's so high. Hmm. Well, the other statistic that you may or may not know is that they, and this has backed, been backed up by lots of different reports, they say anywhere from less than 2 to 3% of all of Europe, 735 million people are, born, are, are, are not born again. Only 2 to 3% are born again. Let me rephrase that. Wow. So do the math on that. You know, 97% or more of every person that lives in Europe right now doesn't know about God, doesn't care about God, is living in rebellion to God, doesn't have a relationship with God. It's a staggering statistic, especially when you think about the fact that I think there's like, I can't remember, but if you go and look at the death rate and uh, every single day of how many people are dying across the world, Mm. they're they're dying apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why I really feel compelled um, and it's so strongly that I really believe that evangelism is probably one of the, the weakest areas of the fivefold ministry. We need to think about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Mm, yeah. You know, you have great apostolic ministries and great prophets out there. And of course, we have great evangelists out there too. And amazing, millions upon millions of amazing teachers and, and pastors but you just don't see this surge. Where, where are the evangelists? You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. I really feel like to raise up, you know, a remnant of, of evangelists, you know, to, to go out of his, his harvest fields to seek and save the lost. Mm. Wow. Well, Greg, I think that just about does it for me and all my questions. So I just want to thank you so much for being on the podcast today and just sharing so, so much great insight and knowledge into I mean, just foreign missions in general. That is so awesome what you've done and your story being in Berlin and what you do for the European Initiative. Josh, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Keep the amazing work. And uh, yeah, God bless you. Hey, God bless you as well. Thanks so much for joining us on the Evangelion podcast, where we dive deep into the logistics, methods, hardships, but even more so the good, beautiful, and powerful side of evangelism here in America and around the globe. Catch you next time.